Welcome, guys, to the uh, Persons with Lived Experience podcast, inspiring stories for unprecedented times with Dixie and Zona. Um, I became homeless. Um, in that process, I quickly started using um, my body to survive. Um, and it was just something that I did daily. Like, it was a transaction. It was like, I need food. I need shelter tonight you know, all these kinds of things, because I had no idea how to maintain a job and maintain, um, you know, budget or finance or, you know, what to do. So I think that's really important. This podcast contains content that may be alarming to some listeners. Please check the show notes for more detailed descriptions and take precautions for yourself. Thank you. I'm Zona. I'm a writer, a speaker, a person with lived experience of human trafficking and homelessness. I am a tiny house enthusiast and a cereal foodie. And I'm Dixie. I'm all about joy, justice, and fair trade fashion. I'm an anti-trafficking advocate, mom of many, and passionate worshiper. So today we have our guest, Amber Love. Uh, She is a survivor of major traumas, including childhood trauma, sex trafficking, rape, and spiritual abuse. Uh, Amber has found her identity out of those things and walks in the knowledge that she is a child of God who is deeply loved and worthy of love. Uh, She has left her career in crisis intervention to pursue a small cleaning business in Virginia Beach called Virginia Beach Cleaning Services. She is a mother to a wonderful almost eight-year-old who has blessed her life beyond measure, and she aspires to utilize her trauma and freedom from its effects to help others find freedom as well by speaking and inspiring others to find a fulfilling life after their trauma. Welcome. Thank you for having me. Yeah, we're so glad that you're here. Yes, I'm excited to be here as well as nervous so we can be real, right? So yes. always <laughs> always a bunch of different mixed emotions but i'm i'm excited to be able to um meet you guys and share in those you know thank you for being an advocate and zona you're awesome you're you've done so much already for the community and i love hearing um that other people are recovering from their traumas and just killing life so thank you oh thank you <laughs> Uh, so we are super excited to uh, let everybody that's listening today hear more about your story. So um, where would you like to start? I guess the best place to start is at the beginning. Um, as I mentioned, there was, you know, there's really a slew of traumas that I have experienced in life. And um, as I've as I've gotten older and I'm able to look back, um, I realized that One, I want to start out and say that God will use all things to work for the good of those who love him. And I did not understand what that meant while I was in my trauma. And I think that's perfectly normal. Um, But outside of my trauma, I'm like, wow, I've been affected by um, adoption. So I was almost four um, when I was adopted. So I'd been in foster care. Um, I, you know, I think the trauma there is to realize, can you imagine at, at two or three years old, um, being given away from your the only person you know, 
Um, so that really sets a foundation of how you view the world, how you um, have attachment styles with people, where your trust is, and just, you know, how you view your entire world. And, and back then they didn't have the resources they have now. Um, so anyways, it's, it, it started with that. Um, that's a, it's a big portion of my life. Um, but then I also experienced some sexual manipulation by a family member who now I understand, you know, there's no way he should have known how to do those things. They were very, very adult. Um, so even though they affected me negatively, um, I'm able to look at him and realize, wow, you know, you have a story as well. Um, so there was that. And then, um, I did, um, spend some time homeless um, when my parents, my parents had kicked me out when I was 18 for smoking pot. Um, and, you know, I minimal, minimalize it. I was a child who had experienced trauma and had no help um, or didn't, you know, didn't have the resources to recover from that. So I found friendship with some friends who smoked weed and, you know, just kind of found acceptance out there because I had a family member who had sexually molested me. Mm-hmm. So, um, I, my parents kicked me out and I moved to a different city. I ended up becoming homeless, um, in that, cause I did not know how to survive. I was in a very Christian, um, home. It was very sheltered, a tiny town. Um, we were at church, you know, five days a week, seven, if you were holy, <laughs> um, that's how I felt. That's my joke. Um, and so, yeah, the world did not love Jesus the same way that I thought everybody did. Um, so I was easily taken advantage of. Um, I was a light in the darkness and the darkness was coming for me. So um, I became homeless. Um, in that process, I quickly started using um, my body to survive. Um, and it was just something that I did daily. Like it was a transaction. It was like, I need food. I need shelter tonight you know, all these kinds of things, because I had no idea how to maintain a job and maintain, um, you know, budget or finance or, you know, what to do. So I think that's really important, even if this is a little bit of a side note, is that human trafficking or sex trafficking, um, I think the world as a whole, it surprises me, they still see it as somebody being kidnapped. And that happens 100%. But there is such a large um, subcategories, if you will, and they are all just as traumatizing. It's all using sex to oppress somebody. Um, and that was, that was my experience. I was seeking love and validation and security. And, um, so I spent about nine months, um, homeless doing that. And in that process, I also became addicted to methamphetamines, um, because, sexual trauma is not, you're not meant, your bodies and our souls are not meant to receive that kind of trauma. And so I use drugs to cope. And um, so all of these things, like all they, though they weren't long-term, like I wasn't in an abusive relationship for eight years. I experienced abuse or I experienced sex trafficking for nine months, which there are women and men who are experiencing it day in and day out for years with no hope to get out. So mm-hmm. I used to compare the two and think that what I had been through was not that bad, right? Comparison. I and what I realized too. is that I can relate with so many different people. Mm-hmm. Like you tell me a trauma and I can, I can actually say, I understand. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, the only thing I, I have, I've never been to prison. 
praise God. Like I, I should have gone to prison. You know, I was, I was out there stealing and, um, you know, not really robbing places, I guess that requires a weapon, but you know, I was doing whatever I had to do. I had no moral code at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, so I ultimately, I went to a, um, a drug rehab program. It was a four-year program. And I won't say their name because, you know, God really has turned that place around. He cleaned house and they're doing amazing work. Um, but at the time it was led by somebody who um, really kind of had a God complex and to give an example of what that meant. So we were there for four years. Um, and when you first got there, you had to wear like a prison jumpsuit and you couldn't speak unless, you know, being spoken to um, for the first 30 days. So it was very like, you're at your lowest. Now let's, let's go ahead and shame you some more. Like you aren't worthy of speaking. So we go through that. Um, if, you know, there was punishments for not following the rules and things like that, which I I think is fair to some degree in any kind of, you got to keep some organization. But if a man had a dream about me, a sexual dream, and he told his buddy about it, I would be shamed in front of the entire community and have to use scripture in front of volunteers, staff, and the residents and repeat it every day until my punishment was done. Um, And everybody knew whatever scripture you were reading was something that you did. So I would stand up and read scriptures about being a prostitute. And that's what I was speaking over my life until I didn't. One day I was like, enough. Um, But that was, and then after that, you'd scrub a tile for, you know, up to 50 hours after you wake up, give everybody their meds and go work at this thrift store that paid for your program and then came home, had dinner, went to school. We had education stuff we had to do and then serve the homeless. And then you get an hour or two of free time. And if you're in trouble, you're scrubbing a toilet with a toothbrush or something. So that was the longest time I experienced any amount of trauma. And that was four years. Um, Yeah. And I wish I could say that after recovery, that's when, you know, that's when the trauma stopped, but how, what, what I've experienced, what I understand now is that all of this stuff unresolved led me to still have a way to cope. And my way to cope was still to take control of things sexually. And I found myself in very unsafe situations. Um, You know, I was married, married once before early by somebody from that program because they told me it was God's will, side note. Um, And that didn't last very long. But after leaving there, I moved, I left the state of Oregon and I moved to Florida. And um, I was, I moved in with some guys. One guy was supposed to be gay. And in my brain, I was like, that means, you know, he's pretty much like a girl. So it's a girl roommate. It's not two dudes. It's a dude and a girl. And I just justified that in my head to get what I needed to be able to make it out there and come to find out he was not gay. And that was what they did to lure women into their home and make them feel safe. And um, yes. And, and he, he raped me and that wasn't the first rape I'd experienced, obviously on the streets. Like even if you're giving somebody something in exchange for money, food or shelter, um, if your no is still not heard, there there was there was a lot of sexual assault. Um, 
and so anyways, that happened. I met my ex-husband, uh, my now ex-husband. And um, during that time, this was only, let's see, we've been divorced three and a half years. So like five and a half years ago, um, he was deployed and I was at a friend's house and I had been like in a secure, safe environment now for a while, but I still coped with abandonment and rejection and, you know, all this kind of stuff um, poorly because I didn't know how to do it otherwise. So I found myself in a situation where somebody was taking me home and they were instructed, you know, not to mess with me. She's married, husband's an officer, um, this and that. And they take me home. I'm incredibly intoxicated. Um, he's not, he's sober and got to the point where um, I also experienced another sexual assault and I just, I absolutely broke. I waited a few days and then I remember the first time speaking it out was to my, my now ex-husband and was on the phone. I'm like, Hey, if I told you, if somebody told you that they were assaulted, you know, like someone told me, should she tell her husband would he want to know on deployment? And I was trying to be like, Hey, question for a friend. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, and he just said, Amber, were you raped? And just like, it was the last straw um, of rejection and pain. And, you know, that's been the, up until now, that has been the one constant thing in my life is people take, take, mm -hmm. take, 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 take. And um, I went to a psych ward. I woke up one day and I couldn't stop crying. And I imagined um, putting myself in the bathtub with a blow dryer while my son was sleeping in the other room. He was two years old. Um, but in, in that state of mind, that wasn't enough. You know, that wasn't enough to keep going because I had so much pain that I had never truly dealt with. I'd been to therapy, but it, it wasn't the same. So I cried for eight hours straight in the hospital, um, went to the Navy hospital and they told me I was just a dependent and they'd call me in two days and a wonderful nurse, which we'll call her an angel came in and said, Hey, the squeaky wheel gets the grease. Yeah. And she was letting me know you have to advocate for yourself. And so I just kind of lost my mind. I was like, do I look like I'm okay to go home? My husband's deployed. I have a two-year-old. What happens if I don't make it through tonight? Because right now I want to expletive kill myself. And I just kept saying, I want to kill myself out loud. And they finally were like, fine, fine, fine. Like trying to just calm me down. Like if we do this, there's no turning back. And I was just like, I can't see through my eyes. I don't know who I'm talking to. Mm -hmm. I think it's okay to send me away somewhere. And um, so that, that was traumatizing. Like, come on, somebody's reaching out for help. But there was no beds available in all the area. Um, there was that many people needing help as well. So I got sent to D.C. And um, I'm kind of like breezing over everything. Is this okay? Yeah. yeah. You guys following me? Yeah. Um, okay. So I go to D.C. I get into the psych ward. And there's, you know, people banging their heads on the walls and screaming in the middle of the night. And I was like, Oh, I effed up. This is not where I want to be. <laughs> like, 
Right. Whoops. <laughs> and uh, went to sleep. And the next morning, this lady came down and said, hey, I heard a little bit about your story. And I really think that you should come and be on our trauma unit. And I was like, yeah, that sounds that sounds better. I mean, my neighbor's going crazy over here. I'd rather go there. And uh, so we go up there and it was actually like art therapy. They had groups. They had um, therapy sessions. Um, wasn't getting along well with the girls. Uh, but I was, I think it was 32 when they were 15 and 16. And I was like, I'm not here to be your friend. Like, <laughs> um, but, you know, there was there was a, a moment, and I don't know why this is coming to my mind right now as I'm telling this story, but we'll go with it. Um, just to explain. I think it's a really good picture of how the trauma was truly affecting me um, and how strong I had been surviving all this time, thinking that I was doing well, but surviving isn't enough and it only goes so far. So I'm in this, um, this group therapy and people have like accused me of not needing to be there. And they're like, why are you even here? And I would just sit there like, I ain't here for you. And I had the nickname Jenny from the block or Amber from the block when I worked at a, at a shelter. So that, that was my, you know, my persona at the time. And I, um, so I'm sitting there and I'm drawing and I'm listening to whatever they're talking about. And I start drawing all these like charcoal hands, like it's just hands everywhere. And I was trying to, exp you know, express something. And all of a sudden I just kind of checked out and apparent and I began to hit myself. And I wanted all the hands to get off of me. And I just started, I, I fell to my knees. Um, I was screaming and crying and just completely, you know, out of that Stonewall character that had been sitting there with my hands crossed, like, I'm fine. I'm here, but I don't need this, you know. Um, and I and I dissociated. Um, I couldn't, I just could not carry the weight of that trauma anymore. And um, they, you know, they came and helped. They brought some orange uh, stuff for me to smell. And I remember after all of that happening, the first thing I heard was somebody saying, oh, there it is. <laughs> <laughs> There's the crazy. Okay. <laughs> can be here now. Um, yeah. So that was pretty, that, that was intense. Um, I ended up going home shortly after because I knew they asked me to stay for three months and I was like, there's no way I have a kid. My sister's watching them. Mm -hmm. So I went home and this is where I feel like, um, my story becomes inspiring. Um, this is where change, dr drastic change began to happen in my life. Um, I, I mean, I was dead. I had no reason to live. I didn't know how I was going to make it going back home. But I knew that I was going to go to a church and I was going to denounce God because screw him. Like what kind of God would let anybody go through what I have gone through since the time I came out of my mother? Yeah, That's a long time to just be hit. And so I was angry. I was like, I professed him in public. Now I'm going to denounce him in public. I'm going to show him. We are so excited for you to save the date for March 30th, 31st, and April 1st. No, this is not an April Fool's joke, but we have our very next free training that will be scheduled during that time. Where we'll be bringing you the 
latest and best practices from experts in the field that'll really help you have things you can implement in your own life to be a safe person, to make your community a safer place, and for you to have a response to fight human trafficking so that we together can end this in our lifetime. So make sure you save the dates, March 30th, 31st, and April 1st for our next free training. This podcast is brought to you by the generous supporters of bringfreedom.org. You can make a tax-deductible donation on the website or on Venmo at bringfreedom. These donations go to support the persons with lived experience who bravely share their stories here and also toward the creation of resources to end human trafficking in your community. So I go to this church um, that somebody had told me about. I'd never been there and and I walked in its bridge church. Um, and so I still, I'm going there still. Um, they're amazing. But I go in there and I sit in the back row and I was like, all right, God, you got 45 minutes or else. You know, that's how it always starts. Because deep down, I still really needed him to be real because if he wasn't, what are we doing? Right. So I sat in that back row with my attitude, being authentically myself in pain in a church, mm-hmm. which is where you are supposed to go with that. Um, and the service was on Ezekiel and the dry bones and how God brought a dead army to life and defeated the enemy. And it was just preached in such a way that I was like, my bones are dead. And, and I just sat there and I was like, I, I need you to bring my bones to life because I can't do it. And I have no... I have nothing. So if you don't do this, um, then then I'm out. But just for today, you get one more day. Is what I was thinking in my head. One more day. So I get up to leave. This couple stops me, um, and her husband um, starts saying, "Hey, you're new here." And I was like, "Yeah, yep, I'm new." Like, just how do I get out of this situation? <laughs> like, I do not want to talk to any any of these people. I was so judgmental. Um, And he was like, oh, you know, you should come to my wife's Bible study. It's going to be great. It's on Mondays. They have child care. And she's like, oh, my God, you can go to any Bible study. It does not have to just be mine. Like, she's looking at her husband. I can see it now. Just like, who are you? Like, (laughs) who has taken over my husband? Um, And he just was so persistent about it. I was like, look, man, if I agree to go to your wife's Bible study tomorrow, can I go get lunch? Cause I'm hungry and I just want to get out of here. And he was like, sure. So I leave, I, I go somehow I managed to go to the Bible study the next day and everybody's in their dresses with their two and a half kids and, you know, perfect little tea party. This is my judgment speaking. And so I sit down, I was like, you know what? I'm going to tell all these women what I've been through And they're going to be so shocked. They're going to judge me. And that's my reason to denounce God. I was still just like, they're going to do it. They're going to judge me. So I interrupt a perfectly good Bible study, having nothing to do with talking about trauma. I don't even know what they were talking about. And I just went, here's all of my, all of my shame, all of my sickness, all of my hurt, all of my anger. And it just kept coming out and it wasn't stopping. It wasn't stopping. And 
you know, in a way I feel like I might've dissociated again. Um, when I realized what was happening and I was able to kind of like breathe and collect myself, there was nobody sitting at the table. And I had a moment of like, oh my God, they left. But I turned around and they're all standing over me, laying hands on me, praying. And like one lady's holding my hand, another girl, she's still my, my one of my best friends to this day. She's 4'11", long blonde, crazy hair, just, you know, being just the most. Um, and they ultimately held my hand and helped me climb out of hell um, without any kind of judgment. Um, it was the most beautiful interaction I have ever had with God and God's people. Um, to know that they are out there yeah. um, was healing in that that wounding of spiritual abuse, right? Like they're just like, come on, girl, we got this. You're not doing this alone. So um, that began that journey. And I like to explain the process of becoming a Christian, like when you really find God and a relationship with him versus religion, which I don't subscribe to. You... It's not just like, oh, everything's going to be better. The Bible actually says it might get worse. You're going to be persecuted. Mm -hmm. But the process of healing for me was one of, I call it the purge and all the junk that had been living inside of my life for 34 years um, started to come out and it had to come out um, and it was ugly and it surprised me. Sometimes I was just in denial of some of the things that I had done to survive, even in safe places, like even in safety, I still would do things to cause chaos in my life. And ultimately during that process, um, I lost my husband. Um, he, you know, asked for a divorce, but this was, you know, way after the purge. So during the purge, I'm surrendering my life to God. I am, you know, just doing it step-by-step, step, day by day, I felt like I needed to tithe. And so I was like, okay, I don't, I only have $400 a month that I use to manage my household. And I can't tithe from, you know, our actual bank account because my husband doesn't believe in God. So I've got $400 so I can give 40. So I give, I give my tithe. I am not even kidding that that week I was contacted by the YWCA for an interview to work at their, at their hotline. I think there was a couple other positions I was looking at. Um, and so I went in, I went to that interview and I was like, oh my gosh, this is my dream. I've been knocking on doors for 13 years saying, I know what I'm talking about, but I was not healed. I was not ready for those positions. That's why those doors never opened. Um, but I go to this interview, they send me the second one. They send me to the CEO, Kristen Pine, and she's amazing. Um, and then they send me an email and they say, hey, we have decided to go with somebody in-house, but we are so impressed with you. We don't want to lose you as a friend to the agency. Here are three positions you can pick from. Which one do you want? Like I was like, I was like, I'll take the hotline. Um, so I started answering the hotline um, and I was only there for about five months before a case manager position opened up. And I applied for it. I knew I hadn't been there six months and I didn't have a degree, but you know, what's, what's knocking on another door I'm not qualified for going to do um, if they say no. And uh, ultimately I got that job um, and they 
found out later that I didn't have a degree and they're like, oh, we're so sorry. We're going to have to rescind this offer. And I was like, I don't accept that. He goes, what do you mean? We can't like we have this grant that we have to. And I was like, don't accept it. I have more knowledge and experience than anybody coming out of college. Like it's that's good information. But I have lived experience Mm -hmm. and healed from it and know what I'm talking about. Give me an opportunity to advocate for myself. And she just looked at me and was like, can you do it in 24 hours? I was like, yes, ma'am, I can. She was like, all right. So I go back to my job. Um, my boss that's up there, she's like, Amber, you should go home. I can't believe they did that to you. That's so messed up. That I was like, look, girl, I've had so many doors slammed in my face. This one's cracked open. I'm going to knock it out. Like, mm-hmm. And I got to answer the phone because people need me. And she was just like, that is the biggest turnaround I've ever seen from anybody being rejected. I was like, this is nothing. So... <laughs> answering hotline all night and writing this little email, you know, was able to show and prove that I had more time in the industry and understanding it than a college degree. So I submit it. They call me and they say, Hey, we're so excited. Like their jaws dropped open. Um, but you're not the exception. They've changed the job description to say, or equivalent experience. And I was like, Oh, you mean I made real change? And she's like, you did. And she goes, there's one other thing they're not going to give you. Um, what we originally offered because you don't have a degree. And I was like, girl, you know, I don't accept that. And she's like, what do you mean? (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, well, I just proved that I have more knowledge and understanding than everyone with a degree. Now I'm being penalized for not having said degree. She goes, what do you want? And I was like, I want what I was offered. So she goes into the president's office and she goes, Amber doesn't accept that. She goes, what is, what does she want? She said she wants what we offered. And she goes, give the girl what she wants. She can have it. She can have it. And so, yeah, I went into my job and, you know, I was kind of, I feel like I was known in the city when I walked in, people were just kind of like, because they knew I wasn't playing. You know, I was like, I'm I'm a voice to people who don't have one and I'm going to speak up. Um, So I did that for a while and I had, you know, I tried to get into that job for I want to say like maybe even 15 years. And so I had that job and I was driving home from church one day and I had this authentic praise happening in my car. Like I was like, thank you, God, for giving me the desire of my heart. Thank you for delivering me from the pit of hell. Thank you for restoring my joy. Thank you for restoring life and giving me a son to love and who loves me. And I'm just praising and the worship songs going and the sun is shining and it's warm on my skin. And then everything went away. And all I heard was, will you give it up and follow me? Hmm. I heard it outside my body. I heard it inside my body. It wasn't male. It wasn't female. It was the voice of God calling me. And I am so honored and undeserving of being able to have that experience, but I'm so grateful. Um, and so I went to to work the next day and I told my boss, uh, who's my good friend now still. And I said, girl, you won't believe what happened in my car last night. God asked me to give it up and follow him. And she's like, you got to go. And I was like, I got to go. <laughs> I don't know where I'm going. And, uh, you know, in that process, um, you know, I went through the divorce, COVID happened. Um, you know, we, we all survived through that and, you know, churches came back in, um, into effect afterwards. I just, I know so many people just relapsed and, you know, isolate, we're not meant for isolation, um, as we all know. So got through all of that and, um, became a program director for Survivor Ventures, which is helping 
um, survivors of human trafficking um, find employment um, with small businesses and training and resources. And um, I was like, you know what? This is this is what I've been. Maybe this is what God wanted. He said, follow me. Now he's going to give he's going to give me a program director without a degree. Like the only thing I have to really have is like knowledge of the industry, be a survivor and have a little case management experience. And I had all of that. So I took the job during COVID, getting a divorce. It was so traumatic for me. It was traumatizing. It was just like, I was like, I've healed and dealt with all this stuff. And now I got to go home and dream about these girls I'm trying to help. And um, I just really, you know, I ended up losing that job just because I, I, you know, understandably I, it was too much. Um, and I went home and I just, I felt like such a failure. Um, but then I realized my, my brother said, uh, he said, Amber, when people are climbing mountains, you know, they, they go up to one level, they acclimate, they come down, they go up a little bit where they do this. Some people die on the mountains. Some people make it to the top. Some people never make it to the top and they come back down. But what do people not do when they get to the top of a mountain? And I was like, I don't know what. And he said, they don't build a house there. They move on. They move on to the next one. And I just felt like God really said like, all right, I gave you your mountaintop. Are you ready to trust me? Are you ready to follow me? And for what I have intended for you all, all along. Um, I still have no idea what he's doing. I mean, I, I have a vision and it's, it's kind of a dream. And I, I don't even believe that that dream is something that I created. I feel like God gave me that dream. I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't be dreaming about it if he didn't have that for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do, you know, I do see myself going that direction, but it terrifies me. I'm just like, I'm like me. Are you sure? And every time, you know, situations get presented to me to like, you know, kind of step in that direction, the fear that comes over. So I still kind of, you know, battle with feeling worthy to do those things. And I think that's where my faith is going to also come in because it's not, it's my story, but it's not my story. And the story in all of this is not what has happened to me. It's what God has done for me. And that I should be crazy. I should have no ability to make rational decisions or trust anybody or love anybody or receive love from anybody. Um, But I can because my God sent his son to die for all of my sin while I was still in my sin so that I could have a relationship with him. And that is what that's where I'm at. That's where I'm at in my, my own personal journey is how can I now go and help others, others find that same, that same wholeness and that same hope. Um, it's in Christ. It's not in the world. It's not in, you know, my career. It's not in just what society says is success. It's in none of that. Um, lastly, I just want to say, um, on that same note, is I identified with Harriet Tubman a um, long time ago. And like third grade, I read this book, Harriet Tubman and the Underground Railroad from the library. And I was just obsessed with her. And I feel like God knew. So the, I came into the world. The enemy was like, oh, she's going she's gonna to mess up my plans. I need to get her early. And I believe that that is the case for every trauma survivor. Like you're important. You have a purpose for your existence and the enemy is coming for you. But 
God's army is way bigger. So, mm. so this happens to me. And then I'm reading about Harriet Tubman and I'm like, mom, if I were back then, I would have, I would have hid the slaves. I would have helped him. And she's like, I believe you would. And, you know, three years go by and my teacher says, Amber cannot write another report on Harriet Tubman. I think they thought <laughs> of cheating, but I was just obsessed. And they're like, you have to find somebody else. I'm like, who else is there? Who else is there with this woman? Like she's everything. <laughs> and she, she went, she was great and she left her husband and found freedom. And then she said, freedom for myself is not enough. And I have to go back. And they yeah. said, no, you shouldn't do it. It's too dangerous. She said, I'll go without you. God is with me. And so she goes back and she didn't lose a single person. Then she helps the, um, the army free thousands and thousands of more slaves and was a nurse and was a spy. And I'm just like, yeah. what can God do with us if we listen? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and then I also heard about, uh, I, I learned about the Holocaust and I was again, told my mom, mom, I would have hid the Jews. I would, I would have hit them. She's like, I know you would baby. And, uh, and to this day, like that, that's just who I am. I was like, I want to be an Amber love, like a Harriet Tubman. And I have found myself seven years ago. If I, if I thought I was going to be preaching to people or if I was going to be witnessing, or if I was going to. I would have thought you had lost your mind and maybe you <laughs> go to the psych ward. <laughs> um, but, but that's it. Like I just, there are so many people that are a slave inside of their minds um, and in their spirits and the wounding that is happening in our world. And it's, you know, it's being distracted by media and all, and we all know this, but we all keep watching it. Um, guilty, you know, um, but Harriet Tubman. I I found this museum is actually in Maryland. It's about three hours from where I live now. So I went out there, drove three hours to this museum and they have this amazing mural of her like stepping out over. You've probably seen it. Um, And anywhere you stand, it looks like she's reaching for your hand. So I go into the museum, they're playing a video and I just felt like I had come full circle to where I was supposed to be. And I felt like Harriet Tubman herself, this may seem weird, I don't even care, but Harriet Tubman herself was like, here's the torch, Amber, go free the slaves. And that, that is where I'm at. I have no idea what the next step is that God's gonna lead me to, but I'm trying to just live every day by the moment, enjoy the time I have with my son and say yes to the next right thing. Hey, Zona here. Hope you're enjoying today's episode. Just wanted to drop in and talk to you about our partnership program that is launching with Bring Freedom, February 15, 2023. We are going to be walking you through exactly how to have a personalized response for your community to um, trafficking, to exploitation, uh, to people presenting even with you know, domestic violence or, or abuse, because we want you to have a powerful response with the support that you need in order to make the best change and to have the safest community that you can possibly live in. The way that we're going to do that is that we have several tiers, including uh, individual or family tier, a small business or a small nonprofit or a large business or a large nonprofit in order to help work with you, to equip you, to get the training that you need to understand 
what your response should be in your community, what things are already there and active, and how can you tap into those things. But fundamentally, to not let anybody fall through the cracks. What we're able to offer through the partnership program is hands-on monthly trainings. We'll be able to walk you through the bonus material from our podcast, including um, the question and answer content with our persons with lived experience that will be available to you twice a month. We will also have uh, our office hours where you'll be able to come right in and ask Dixie and I questions and we'll have other experts on there as well so that you can get the answers and the connections that you need for your community and we can help you troubleshoot anything that you're not finding. You will also have all of the recordings from our all for one challenge that will be available to you uh, as a free bonus if you sign up now before our launch February 15th as you're a part of the development of further materials for prevention and awareness and the very best way to get this information out so that we have the safest communities possible. Go ahead and visit us at bringfreedom.org in order to find out more. We are super grateful to have had you on and we're very excited to have you share your story. And I think that it does um, do a lot for people because, you know, we've had some mixed reviews of the um, military installations of some uh, especially mental health capacity. So it's good to hear that they did they did well and that they had a trauma section for you to go to and they were able to identify the difference so that you could get the right kind of help. <laughs> yeah. And that was that was a non-military facility. It was just mm-hmm. a private one. I also mm-hmm. want to say that after that happened, um, my old SARC, my sexual assault response coordinator, found me on LinkedIn as well and said, called me. Sorry, this dog is trying to eat my shoes. <laughs> and uh, she called me and said, Amber, can you be in D.C. tomorrow? We're interviewing people for the new sexual assault training video that has not been update, updated in 20 years. Oh, and I was like, yes, I can. Let me tell this job that I just started that I will not be at work tomorrow. <laughs> and I uh, drove to D.C., uh, went to this interview. Um, the guy... I got there and he's like, Hey, we don't really want to hear your story. We just want to hear about your services that you received as a military spouse. And I immediately was like, Oh, sweetheart, you you picked the wrong one though, because I can advocate for myself. And you asked a survivor to come and share their story under the guise that I was going to get to have my voice be heard um, from what happened by a military member. Mm -hmm. And, and, and I'm, I'm like, I'm happy to answer your questions, but I'm going to go ahead and tell my story if that's okay with you. And he was just kind of like, whatever, you know, I took over apparently. So he was, his ego maybe was a little, little hurt. I don't know. Um, <laughs> so I did, I did my spiel. I told my story and so there's no way he's going to use my information. And I just went home and forgot about it. And then Marla calls me about three months later and she's like, girl, listen. And I was like listening in my car and I could hear me speaking. She goes, not only did you make the cut, you are the longest survivor story on the first updated sexual assault training video in 20 years that has now been released to the entire United States Navy. Wow. Wow. <laughs> That's awesome. 
you can see my clip on my LinkedIn. I just put the three minute piece on there because you know it's owned by the Navy, so I couldn't put the whole the whole training on there. But sure. um, but yeah, so you know, came around and um, I was able to have my voice be heard after all because you know I did try to file um, and charge him, um, but it never went to trial. So this was a, a form of justice for me. I was like, if he's still in the Navy, he's going to have to see my face yep. every year and pretend like he doesn't know who I am. We're grateful that that happened too, because we know that they are working very diligently they to are. change um, mm -hmm. a lot of those stories and experiences mm -hmm. that are unfortunately common for both female military and, uh, male. Mm -hmm. and male and male. Yep. Mm -hmm. It's not exclusive just to um, one. The people but. working in that in that field are definitely dedicated and committed and passionate about seeing an end to that. So I do appreciate all the people that I met uh, through my time there. I was going to ask if there's any projects you're working on or anything you want to share with us. You know, um, funny thing about I also attribute this to people with trauma is I have so many projects. Um, <laughs> Focusing on one thing um, is is can be difficult, but I am working on writing a book. Um, I have an idea for some journals. I've started a cleaning business just to pay my bills so I don't have to work underneath anybody of authority um, and keep my mouth shut when I don't want to. So it works for me to be my own boss. Um, so, you know, in speaking, I really um, want the opportunity to continue to grow in that. I, I tend to have a a really amazing stage presence and something happens when I get up on stage versus even just having this one-on-one. -on -one. Um, I always pray before I go up there and then just psh, this thing happens and then it's over and I'm like, Oh, I should get off the stage. <laughs> um, but I would, I would really like to share my story, but most importantly, I want to clarify that I want to bring the good news of Christ to people um, to people who are seeking. Well, we are so glad that you are here today and we loved having you on and all of your great stories. <laughs> yes. I have so many. <laughs> <laughs> we might have to have a, a part two next. Yeah. If you want to have a part two, we can. I'm totally <laughs> down. I just knew I had 45 minutes. So I was like, let me get the details of what I've been through so I can get to the good stuff, you know? Yeah. Right. Awesome. Yeah. So thank you guys. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for the Persons with Lived Experience podcast today. I hope you're enjoying season two of these inspiring stories for unprecedented times. Please share this episode with your community so that we can make more ripples to create waves of change. Thank you.